In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Jeff White about developing a marketing strategy for your e-commerce business. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 67. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Plesky, and I'm here today with Jeff White. Jeff is the co-founder of Cooler Partners, an agency designed to help leading manufacturers digitally transform their marketing and sales. I asked Jeff on the show today to talk about how you can build a marketing strategy for your e-commerce business. So, hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Charles. How are you? Great. Thanks for having you on the show. It's um, great chatting with you. want to kind of talk a bit about what you guys do there and kind of you work, is it mainly with manufacturers or also retailers as well? Uh, we work primarily with manufacturers, but uh, many of them are uh, e-commerce um, users as well, uh, you know, have e-commerce stores. And we also do some work with uh, manufacturing distributors, so organizations that are representing manufacturers on the ground and, and reselling, reselling their goods for them. So usually... Uh, you know, it tends to be in the more industrial kind of space, you know, where they're dealing with, um, you know, things for home automation or, or plastics or metals or wire or all of those different sorts of things. But uh, yeah, so th that's kind of our primary audience makeup, I guess, or client client base, I guess. And are you seeing now that there's a lot of manufacturers selling? So you're working with manufacturers, I'm assuming, selling direct to consumers. Wow. In a lot of cases, they're they're selling direct to consumers. Um, they may have multiple channels. You know, some of the manufacturers we work with, they may sell on um, via distributors in local markets. They may sell on their own e-commerce platform to specific groups of their clientele. And some of them also use marketplaces like Amazon and and other specialized marketplaces to uh, to sell via e-commerce as well. Okay, so then you help them. With the conversion, so you do a lot of it's. Is it mainly conversion optimization, or kind of what's the whole mix of services? Sure. So yeah, so the majority of what the work we do is uh, marketing strategy, and uh, we're also a, a development firm, and we do a lot of really complex integration projects where we're integrating an e-commerce platform with a marketing automation platform with. Uh, you know, a, uh, an ERP system in the back end, you know, usually those tend to be a bit more enterprise like Oracle or SAP or whatever. And we're kind of trying to tie all of those things together so that you have, uh, you know, a nice cohesive mix and a single view of customer. And, you know, you know who you're sending to your CRM here and you know, who's buying from you over here and people in shipping know what they need to send out and, and all those different things. But, uh, you know, especially as you get into these larger manufacturing platforms, the, you know, the tech stack is not getting simpler. It's getting more convoluted and, and uh, certainly much more uh, um, complex from a management perspective. Yeah, we were talking before the show on how we're doing um, work here to migrate over to HubSpot. And that project, yeah. it's, been, it's been quite a long time. And we, you know, being software developers by trade, um, you would think it's something that would just be easy, but just getting all the data where it needs to go in the right place and kind of flowing from, you know, the marketing automation system, the lead page, the landing pages into HubSpot from the app, having everything tied together is a large undertaking in itself. So I definitely kind of. No question. Yeah. And I mean, even with a platform like HubSpot, I mean, we've been a HubSpot partner agency for eight or nine years now and kind of within that community are known as, you know, one of the more intense kind of development type shops that can integrate those different platforms. And even with that and with the 
great APIs that an organization like HubSpot has in their platform, it's still limited, you know, and it's still difficult to do absolutely everything. You know, you're, you're really kind of u- unique quality dev talent to be able to kind of pull all those things together. Yeah. Knowing, having some experience on how these systems kind of typically interact and some shortcuts um, definitely helps, right? Because there, there are some things where out of the box, you would think, hey, it should definitely just work like this. And it definitely does not work like that. And you start getting into it and then realize like, oh, we should have designed this differently. So we've spent a lot of time kind of just learning how these systems interact. So I can kind of see, <laughs> I can see the value. For there. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, with us, with the variety of uh, platforms that our clients are on, it's always a learning experience. You know, it's like, do you ha- know how to use this? Like, well, we'll. We'll figure it out now. <laughs> you yep. know? Like some esoteric ERP system that was designed for like six people, you know. <laughs> do you see so on the retail side, do you see um systems like HubSpot and kind of some of those being used in e commerce? Or is this mainly like where where would that be used? Sure. So I, I think um you begin to see marketing automation come into play, um, especially on a retail front, um, as an adjunct to uh, your e-commerce platform. So, you know, when uh, somebody makes a purchase or puts something into their cart, but maybe doesn't complete the purchase, these marketing automation platforms are getting really good at kind of having triggers set up where you can notify the marketing automation platform that so-and-so has taken this action, but maybe they haven't completed the purchase or they haven't, you know, finished the conversion that we might like them to. And it's at that point that you can use the marketing automation platform to take over and, you know, send them um, abandoned cart notifications, offers for uh, upgrade or coupon or, or something like that. And then where they're really going to start to shine, and you know, I, I wish I could say that I thought that these platforms were a bit more mature than they really are, but is the idea of you know really complex segmentation of your buying community, where you can, you know, look at, you know, we have uh, a legacy client that we've worked with for a long time, a high-end wine store, um, and uh, you know, we want to be able to kind of take the data from purchase history and say, you know, show me all the people who've spent over $100 on a single bottle of French wine before, you know, and then, all right, let's take those 65 people and enroll them in this special order program that we're going to put together for them, like to be able to begin to drill down and offer considerable value to um, individual purchasers that are in a certain segment of your audience is really, I think, where the intelligence of a marketing automation platform like HubSpot can begin to pay real dividends. Because the power in those platforms is in really um, potent list building, you know, where you can take a lot of different factors and kind of compare them all and see how that how it all works together. So you're talking about using, I want to make sure I understand, using the data from the shopping cart, pushing that off to a platform like a HubSpot or any, any of the marketing automation systems and having, having that kind of buying history live there and that being your kind of book of records, right? For, exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And would you be and I'm just trying to, would you be tagging users with certain like criteria, adding them to lists? Like what does the actual kind of setup look like on how to manage that? Yeah, I, I think with that, um, what you're looking to do generally is, uh, you know, it, and it's not the kind of thing that any of this comes out of the box this way. It's really about how you configure it off the top. And it, it's going to be, you know, 
setting up lists of people who qualify for certain things, a certain categories of product being purchased or running queries against that list or against your product inventory and seeing, you know, we've got these things in stock and we've got these people who've bought this kind of thing before. What kind of promotion could we run for that, for that particular thing? So there, there's lots of that sort of thing. And we also have, um, we have manufacturers that we work with that, uh, we have one that uh, sells to researchers within university labs, and they have, uh, you know, different types of products that they have available for those researchers, and you know they want to be able to customize those lists based on where those universities are located or what types of research is going on there, and, and you know notify just those people who have made a purchase in the past about a particular new product that's coming out, for example. So. Um, you know, the business intelligence that's available um, within a platform like HubSpot, simply by having the data resident there, gives you an incredible opportunity to really leverage that and uh, and create much smarter marketing campaigns that are, you know, driven against past buyer behavior. Yeah, that's one of the things I've been noticing where it's once you get the data there, you feel like you're like this, like superhero, like I can do anything. <laughs> I, I, yeah. In like, you know, like a second, you can just pull up these queries. Um, and I've used a bunch of, um, marketing automation software to kind of do things like this. And as soon as you have the data there, it's like, wow, I can do, I can do anything. And it's just like amazing moment. But before you have the data there, you essentially just have like a list of email addresses. Um, and I've used like, um, what's a good example, kind of like MailChimp back in the day where it's just like a bulk, I can just send blast out, you know, tens of thousands of emails go. And it's that sort of thing. If you just want like a monstrous email list, but yet what you're talking about is more, not just the, um, what's the thing you used to do with, Hey, you know, Hey, first name, comma, that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah, going that, to like that a different level of personalization. You, you can go much, much deeper. And, and I think you can, you know, it, the, the one thing about having that much power is it also means that you're, you know, you have unlimited opportunities for trying things. Um, but probably most people have not an unlimited budget um, or unlimited time. So I, I think this is where having uh, an actual marketing strategy of, you know, here are the things that we're going to work on and, uh, and target allows you to ensure that you're focusing on the things that are going to actually deliver ROI and good experiences for your, for your customers. So when you, when you say a marketing strategy, right? Cause that's to, kind of when you start talking strategy in general, right? There's a lot of tactics, like split up your list segment, do that. There's a, these tactics, but then they kind of roll up into what's the strategy, right? Some overall, like, are we going to, like, how are we even going to approach this? What are we going to do? Um, how do you even start with coming up with, you know, the right strategy for a particular business, like from day one, when you look at it, because I, what I see a lot of folks doing is they just have a mix of tactics. They're just kind of trying different things, seeing what works. We're going to blog. We're going to make we, videos. Yeah, 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 exactly. We have a blog and <laughs> yeah. you know, you have like a few blog posts and that kind of burns out and, oh, we're going to do some Facebook ads and you try a little and whatever. Yeah. And you know, you're kind of doing a, a little bit of a lot of things and you just get this like, <laughs> this like, you know, witch's brew of stuff that nothing really like fits together nothing like blends. So how do you start when you come in day one with that strategy of, okay, let's have this plan. And what, what does that look like that process? Sure. And I mean, it, it's, 
these days, at least for us, it's pretty rare that we're coming into somebody who is on their very first website. You know? Yeah. Like, well, I guess you know, what I'm saying it's pretty rare that we're starting something fresh. So there, there's always data to begin with. Yeah. You to have to see data. It's always just this mix of data of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, generally what we do off the top with any of our clients is we're, we're looking at, we, we call it a manumark diagnostic. So it's our manufacturer marketing diagnostic. And, and with that kind of thing, we'll come in and we'll, we'll look at your Google Analytics. We'll look at your um, PPC performance with, uh, you know, Google and Bing and any other platforms we might use. We'll look at what your how your social platforms are delivering. We'll look at how your landing pages and your um, checkout are performing. Um, we'll look at all of those different things. We'll put tools like uh, Hotjar VWO on a site so that we can see how people are moving through it, see where they're stumbling, um, see kind of what things are working for them, uh, maybe where they get hung up in the checkout process or whatever. And we'll take that and we'll use it to devise a strategy for here are the things that we want to pick off first. And I, I think especially for us with a lot of our clients where we're dealing with really large PPC campaigns, that's often a place that we can make a huge impact right off the top. Um, we had a client last year that we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars and increased their lead flow by like 40 times simply by making some pretty intelligent changes to how they were managing PPC. Um, you know, that may not be the same for somebody who's, you know, got a small Shopify store, but, uh, you know, there, there are almost always gains to be made on the, on the pay-per-click front. Um, and then we'll get down into, you know, where can we make the the highest impact on uh, on your overall marketing, knowing that we're working within a specified budget. Um, you know, nobody, nobody has an unlimited budget and a lot of people have teams in-house that can manage certain things, but not others. And we'll look to kind of elevate their practice in the areas where we can have the most impact. And, and a lot of times that has to do with optimizing how the site works, how it looks, how it's organized, and how that, um, especially the checkout process where so many people get hung up. I mean, you, you see it less and less these days with tools like Shopify that have really kind of refined that process. But I, I think there's still, you know, um, a lot of our clients have very specialized checkout processes. So, you know, they might need to uh, submit a PO rather than using a credit card to make a purchase. Or maybe they're part of a large group that all has different divisions that all place orders from you. So you need to know the routing for the delivery. And, and you know, so there's different options that have to be enabled as part of their checkout processes. And as a result, we need to look at you know, are those easy to use? Are we making sure that our tools are fully accessible? Are we, um, you know, building a site that is going to be accessible to all of our potential users, including um, disabled users or blind users or deaf users? Um, there, there's a ton of challenges around that side of accessibility too. Hmm. So it sounds like kind of what you, st the first place to start, right? It kind of sounds like see what's working currently. And first, just take all your, put all your assets, put all the assets out there, get them on the table and then just see what's working and Hey, where, and then where can we just bite off some easy wins there? Um, right. Cause there's probably something with PPC where you can just say, let's just, Hey, like out of these 10 things you're doing, we could stop doing five pretty easily and just double yeah. down the budget on these other five and right exactly. there, a big win. Yeah. And, and I mean the other, the other part of that too, and, and I almost forgot this, but you know, it, knowing who you're selling to is hugely important. So having, you know, at least some semblance of buyer personas or understanding your specific 
firmographic and demographic details of what the kinds of people that are buying from you will enable you to kind of segment those in a way that allows you to potentially sell a bit differently to different groups of people. Um, right. Because what so you're, you, you were just talking about, you have some manufacturers that direct to consumer, some are going through the marketplaces and some are doing and working with distributors, right? So try exactly. to, trying to win a yeah. new distributor account versus a consumer sell. Very, very different. Very yeah. different. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, most of them have sites that are catering to those different users in different places. Um, but even within, you know, their e-commerce buyers, there would be sp set personas of people who have different types of jobs, you know, um, that research uh, ag agriculture company that sells into um, into university researchers, you know, they would sell to veterinarians, they would sell to um, technicians and they would sell to all of these different people. Well, they all have different requirements, different needs, different uh, product specifications that they're concerned with. And uh, in each one of those things is, uh, you know, specific to their persona and the things that they're interested in. So it, uh, it, it just means that you generally tend to want to communicate to different people in a different way, depending on how their, uh, what their involvement is on the, either in a buying committee or, or as part of your client organization. Yeah. That's one huge takeaway that I often hear and I know people often don't listen to, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll repeat it again, but this whole thing with the developing those personas, um, every time any agency, I know this is like, this is something that you almost like make your clients do day one. And it's one of those things that as a client on being on the other side of the table, you know, you should do. It's just something most people don't, they know it. Everyone knows. You should do persona. And then everyone kind of does this like loose, uh, you know, they kind of do a little hand waving and do some very like light stuff, but yeah. really like nailing that down. You almost need someone like yourself or just someone there forcing you to do that. For sure. And, and I mean, the other, the other side of it too, you know, we're, we're often working with sales teams within these organizations. So they may have an e-commerce platform, but they also have sales teams who have a very deep connection with the, uh, you know, with their clientele that, but, but that is, that's good. And it's bad. It's like, I have that knowledge in here and nobody else does. And that's, that's part of who I am and my value to this company. So I don't really want to give that up or, we know our customers. We don't need to do this persona thing. You know, <laughs> like, you know, no, it's fine. We know all about them, you know? Yeah. And I think people kind of over, they, they move like, and I've said this before here that people kind of just like rush through that step. And it's one of those super important steps that if you get right, everything kind of flows from that. And For sure. And realizing that it's a living document too. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one thing you could say that is, and I think we have a blog post about this on our site somewhere, but uh, the one thing that you could say about personas is that it's guaranteed to be a generalization and probably at least partially wrong off the top. So, you know, you need to use the data that you glean from purchase behavior, from user behavior on the site, from you know, what documents get downloaded, which ones don't, uh, you know, what purchases get completed and which ones don't. Um, and you can begin to see, sometimes it's simply by virtue of ordering from a specific category of product, we know that this person must belong to this persona group. Um, you know, how come that group orders all kinds of stuff online and this group doesn't order anything or, you know, a significant, significantly lower completion of, of purchase. So, you know, it uh, it really is the case that you should be looking to constantly be learning um, 
about the behavior of your customers and adapting your digital platform to suit the people that you're serving. Yeah. And the thing that doing that too, is then you start the whole process from start from all the way up from like acquisition, all the way down to the very bottom of the funnel, you can optimize for, you can at least optimize a funnel for that persona, right. Of saying like in this type of person, they're going to need this. We know they like this type of follow-up. They like this is, they always order with PO um, and these other users don't. So you have this like funnel that's tailored exactly to them. And you just exactly. know as soon as we can get them, as soon as we kind of bucket them as that type, that persona, get them in that funnel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's all part of making a marketing strategy that is going to be focused on what's going to pay the, the most dividends with the, you know, high value, low effort, you know, like that, that's what you attack first. And then, you know, kind of work your way down through and, and continue to uh, tick off the things that are going to provide the most ROI. Yep. Yeah. I can definitely see that, that optimization right there. Cause then each time you get one of those, it starts making the whole process smoother when they move through that funnel. Right. Because now you just know, there's no, there's not those like jagged edges and you just know, and you can dump people into that at a much higher rate, just because you know, it's going to be smooth. They're going to flow right through. You kind of know, here's all, here's all the gutches. Here's all the questions we're going to run into. Let's just kind of document those out. We, you know, we've seen the show before. We know it. Let's do it yep. at least for that one persona. So you're not going to do it exactly for everyone yeah. all the time forever, but just start with one and then just go yeah. nail it. Exactly. And then you can look like a hero and <laughs> use that as uh, well. I mean, honestly, especially if you're in a large organization where you're having to justify every marketing dollar to your C-suite or executive, you know, if you can prove that there is ROI in, in marketing, you know, and sometimes you have like marketing and sales kind of butting heads, you know, sales saying that they're not getting the leads they want or, they're, you know, cannibalizing their customer base with e-commerce. Well, if you can show that you can service those customers in a way that that suits them and supports their requirements and their needs, then and you can show that to the to an executive team and prove that it worked. Well, that's an easy way to get more budget for other things that you can begin to improve the site over time in, in lots of different ways. Yeah. It's a lot easier to nail, um, in, in kind of the SaaS world, any sort of niche type thing. But even when you go to marketing, it's just, it's basically the same idea. It's a persona at that point. Right. And you're just trying to nail that, that one persona, that niche. And once you do that once, then it's just trying to repeat that formula and, you know, land and expand sort of thing. Exactly. And I mean, it, every one of those things is going to be a little bit different and things that work for one uh, niche or, or niche, if you're Canadian, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, every one of those things is, you know, by its very nature, you know, not going to work exactly the same way. And, and you'll have to kind of learn what, what the specific differences are and then, you know, adapt from there. What do you guys do there? Right. So let's say you come into this manufacturer, they're doing great with direct to consumer. They kind of have their marketing funnel. They have it nailed. It's churning away. Right. And, but mm -hmm. then they say, we want to, you know, here our distributed numbers, which is not, it's just not, it doesn't work the same way. The process isn't the same. We don't have it nailed down. Right. What do you do at that point of trying to say, okay, we have a strategy. We have one strategy that's working. One strategy that's basically not working. How do we, how do you develop that into something that is working? Or experiment? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say because of course every um, example is a little bit different, but I, I think the one thing that you can definitely do is begin to understand what is that, you know, 
what what is the buyer's journey for the people on the distributor side that is different than the buyer's journey for people who are arriving directly on the site and then boom 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 they move through your e-commerce platform and make a purchase you know if if people are one of the things that we see an awful lot of is especially if there's you know some form of channel conflict between a distributor and a manufacturer is you know we'll see that the end user is doing their research on the manufacturer site and then not necessarily going through their distributor to make that purchase and this becomes a problem with the distributor relationships or the sales relationship that they might have there so one of the things that you might do in that case is to provide a uh, a way for people to connect with the distributor in their area or the specific distributor of a specific line of product if that's maybe not sold on the website or it's sold in through different channels and then use your web platform to provide those warm leads to your distributor base in a specific geographical area and say hey here's bob in maryland and bob is ready to purchase this can you reach out to him and what we've done in the past for some clients is to to build kind of that lead funneling system that allows us to you know capture those leads either through a white paper download or through a calculator of some kind or something else and then use the geographic information in their contact details to funnel those leads over to the most appropriate person who can help close that sale um, and then use some intelligence in the back end of that system to ensure that that person up with and then you know if they don't then it gets escalated up the chain within the manufacturer and then they find a way of reaching out to that person themselves or whatever that recourse happens to be so, so I, I think it's really about providing people on ramps to both your content in the ways that they want to consume it and to your products and purchasing you know the ways that people can buy from you and uh, and then just realizing that not everyone is going to buy in exactly the same way especially if you have a complex relationship with your end consumer you know that isn't necessarily direct with you yeah when you start talking to distributors that's when the relationship gets complex right where it's not this like hey you know blend on the site add to cart check out done it's just, it's a more gray type area oh for sure and especially if you're international I mean, we have we have some clients, you know, that are in dozens and dozens of countries. Some they're allowed to sell direct in, some they're not. Some like China, they can only sell in if they actually have infrastructure on site in China, you know, and uh, are using state-run <laughs> systems in order to uh, provide e-commerce platforms over there. So, you know, like in a lot of cases, the companies we work with have e-commerce, but it's only available in Canada and the U.S. And then everything else kind of funnels to more content-related things and then sends them to a, uh, a sales representative in that country or city or what have you. So, yeah, there, there's a, a lot of different ways that that relationship can get very complex, especially with bigger organizations. When you said content just now, um, mm. it's something you hear a lot kind of in other non-e-commerce worlds and everyone kind of in e-commerce approaches content as something different right so it's sometimes you're talking this blog post sometimes it's like these how-tos how do you actually when you think of content like what do you what's your approach to that oh man um <laughs> i think it's probably one of the most overused and most misunderstood components of your digital marketing um because I think when people talk about content from a marketing perspective, they're almost always talking about 
either written content or video or a podcast or, or what have you and kind of the creation of that that fuels um, traffic growth and uh, that that fuels um, social media, give you something to talk about on those platforms. But man, it's also about the content specifically on the site that isn't necessarily marketing content per se, you know, like product descriptions. Um, you know, in a lot of cases, manufacturers are providing product descriptions. Um, some of them are doing that, that by a PIM system. Some of them are doing that just by, you know, if you're selling so-and-so's product, you go to their website, grab that product description, put it on your own website, and you're off to the races. Well, the trouble is, is that you then end up with the same content that everybody else selling that product via an e-commerce platform is using, and there's no differentiation, and Google and, doesn't and give you... it's typically not very good, so... Usually, yeah, yeah. So unless it's been a priority for that, you know, the provider or manufacturer of that product to ensure that it is good quality, you know, there, there's a real opportunity for smaller e-commerce um, providers to be able to custom craft their own product content. And that is often, you know, one of the one of the highest ROI things that you can do. It's not easy lifting, uh, as anybody who's created a lot of content knows, there's nothing harder than actually creating more content. You know, like it, uh, it used to be, you know, oh, yeah, no, you do like five blog posts a week. Like, man, that's that's like five days straight worth of work, you know. Um, yeah, it's easy to say so, tough to do. And then you do oh, it and you no realize like, uh, <laughs> you're basically like yeah. a full-time author at that point. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, and there's always tons of editing and planning and what content is going to get you the, the most return on your investment. So what do you pick off first? I mean, that's one of the things that we often find when we're doing that diagnostic is we'll see, all right, you know, these eight product pages are really highly ranked, but they don't convert anybody, you know? So, okay, well, what can we do on those pages? Can we provide a white paper that is relevant to the, that particular product that kind of helps tie that together with the rest of our offering and helps people get, get their job done? Can we showcase a case study there, you know, using marketing automation and, and put that up there for them? Or can we show them, you know, all the things that are all the products that are related to that and allow them to add them easily to a single cart. You know, like what, what are the different conversion opportunities for that specific content on that page? And, you know, I think the more that you can understand how your content is performing at both attracting, converting and closing potential customers, the better you'll know what you should be working with first. Yeah. I like that tactic there of, because when you start approaching this, right, it's a very, um, it's the right word, just it's a very daunting task of saying, okay, we have, you know, a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand products, whatever the number is. And these descriptions are all kind of not that good. So where do we start? And just in trying to look at it as, okay, a hundred thousand products, we should start at like product one. It, you'll never start. It just, it feels too monumental of a task, right? But saying, let's pick off the top 10, you know, like, top 10 something and just starting yeah. somewhere best and then, most visited most sold whatever that happens to be and see where you can improve on that where would you start off actually would you say most visited most sold most visited but not sold I, yeah I, I think where you can look to fix a problem is, is often a great place to start so like yeah we get a lot of people on this page but they bounce um or we get a lot of people on this page but then they never take the next action that we think they should so what can we implement there or, you know, 
where is this working well on the site and what's different about that group of pages from this group of pages? Is there anything? Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's the case where you had one persona group where you developed a really great white paper for them um, as kind of a more top of funnel conversion asset, you know, people that aren't ready to buy yet. And we noticed that people who arrive at that page by organic search, you know, they download that white paper and three weeks later they buy the product. You know, we start to see that kind of conversion path happening, that sort of buyer's journey happening. All right, well, how can we get that happening on these other high value product pages that are a similar kind of buying group, but we don't have an asset to offer them there? Well, maybe if we developed one, we could get them into that funnel a little sooner rather than hoping that they make that choice and understand it themselves later, which, you know, isn't necessarily going to happen. Yeah. And I think, I feel like that's at least something you can approach and say, there's, you know, today we're working on this page. It's not, we're not working on every page. We're not working on every product. It's just this one trying to figure out. And maybe it's like you said, using Hotjar, right? That, yeah. That's the one where you can see where they move the mouse cursor. That's yeah. Yeah. So you can see uh, with tools like Hotjar, you can see, you know, where are the highest percentage of clicks on a page? How far do people tend to scroll on a page? Um, and then you can actually do session recordings where you see where they, um, you know, where they go, what they click on, what their path is through this, not just through that page, but through that site. The other thing that I'm constantly amazed by is the number of people that actually put their cursor on the text and they follow it and yeah. they go to the next line and they follow it. Yep. And it's like, wow, like you, you know, I mean, you, you, you think, especially if you're a web designer or developer and you've been at this game for a little while, you start to think, man, everybody knows the web as well as I do. But the fact of the matter is they don't. And most people are still, you know, reading at a level that is significantly lower than most of the people who are developing for the web. You know, my business partner was writing an email yesterday and uh, HubSpot will actually tell you, you know, what grade reading level that email is. And he's like, HubSpot's telling me that this email is reading at a grade 12 level or above <laughs> we're like oh crap like you know that's that's too high and 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 I, we're reading it going well it doesn't seem that bad but you know and you get into it yeah sure you're probably using phrases that are just not that common or overly complex sentence structures and you're just not even thinking about it so you know that kind of optimization i mean my god you're, you're talking about you know, getting, getting way into the weeds at that point where if you're, if you're down to that, you've already fixed all the major problems and you should already be a hero, but <laughs> there, there's probably a lot of things way, way further up that are more important than, uh, than little, little adjustments like that to body copy and such. But man, content is huge. If you ever use, uh, one of those, um, things where you can watch people on the screen and you watch people on mobile, they do the same yeah. bizarre thing. You can see, I yeah. think it's been hot jar where they have their like thumb on the screen and yeah. they move up and down as they read. Yeah. And then you realize like, like one line at a time. Yeah. And they just like, yeah. and they kind of move down and they go back to that line. And it's just very odd. And like, you can picture the person doing it. And you're like, oh, yep. that's how people consume the site. And yeah. until you use yeah. those and really just like watch it, you're like, I didn't. And it's not this like linear thing. They just start it and they just read. They move mm -hmm. down, they move up. And like, what do you read? Like, yeah, where are you going? Yeah, where are you going? Like, are... Yeah, yeah, why are you going yeah. down the paragraph and back? Like, how do you read up the paragraph? Yeah. So you start to get these like different concepts of like, I, wow, I didn't think anyone would do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I mean, years ago we built a, um, built a website for uh, an international airport. And, um, before we did this, the uh, first thing we did was we went out and we looked at, you know, what are the best airport sites in the world? And we compiled a list of like 20 or 30 of, of the world's best airport sites from a number of different criteria. 
And we looked at, you know, what content was surfaced on the homepage and, and what kinds of things were they doing. And invariably, the thing that they were doing on the site was they, on the homepage of the site, they would have an arrivals and departures area to show the flights that were coming and going from the airport. And every single one to a letter had arrivals first. Um, you know, and so you had to click something in order to see the departures tab. And we're like, that's really wild. Like we looked at a hot jar analysis of that site and saw that, you know, 56% or some ridiculously high number, uh, 56% of the clicks to that site were on the departures tab. Yeah. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, about, guessing about half. Yeah. Half the people come and you either want to know arrivals yeah, or departures. But, but the reasoning or at least our deduction from that was, well, if you think about it, the people who are actually coming to an airport website are doing so because they're going to be flying from there. They're not going to because they're flying into it. Hmm. So the people who are actually looking to see arrivals are, are probably picking somebody up yep, from the airport. Right. And there's far fewer of them than there are individuals looking to leave by uh, that airport a, site. That's a good, so we yeah, actually switched the priority and put departures as the first thing that you saw. And it actually made the after we made that change, the clicks then got much more spread out across the site and weren't specifically uh, on the arrivals tab, for example, and people trying to bring that to the fore. So even though we managed to decrease the time on site um, by uh, a significant margin, we actually improved the usability performance of the site simply by thinking about the context of how the person who is coming to an airport site intends to use it. And I mean, that's not really something that you can just get by looking at numbers of clicks and things like that. You have to observe how people use a site and truly get to an understanding of, of what it is that they're doing. So, you know, I mean, I, I think that's a really interesting example of, of kind of leveraging that data and seeing how it impacts how people actually end up using something. Yeah, it's funny you say um, time on site. I've listened to, I'm trying to think of his name actually real quick. Um, uh, Jared, I think it was Jared Spool was talking one time. Um, he does a whole bunch of usability type stuff and talking about time on site as this like ridiculous metric, right? On are you trying to increase it or decrease it? And you could actually argue either one is good, right? Like in some cases, decreasing yeah. that and getting people to what they want, want is exactly how you want to help them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those things like is time on site. You want to see, like, do you even want it to go up or down? And that's one of those things until you really know what's up. And this is actually one of the points of a stock. What's the problem you're trying to solve? What are you trying to do? Right. If you, cause if you just, if people want to go find out their time that they're, um, you know, the plane is departing, you just want to get them through faster. So the goal isn't to keep them on the site and like show them different things and get them different. Like that's, that would actually yeah. be like wrong. So like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Starting exactly what you said, starting at what problem you're trying to solve. And then that tells you, okay, you actually want to decrease time on site versus in a different funnel. You might want to say, okay, people come into the page and they're bouncing. They're not taking the next step. We want to increase time on site. So it's one of those crazy metrics where, the same direction is even the vanity wide. number is is useless. You literally totally useless. And saying yeah. we and giving an overall top, hey, we've decreased the time on site, or we've increased it, is just dumb. Is really the point yeah. of that, right? Yeah. You no, can't either way. Like, we have 
Yeah. We have 3,000 hits. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like measuring. I, man, I, I started building sites in the 90s. So, you know, it, uh, the metrics have come a long way from then. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and I, I think part of that too is not just looking at that one metric of where are the initial clicks or where are people going, but what do they do after that? You know, because if we switch that departures tab to the four and instead of clicking on the departures tab and then scrolling down that list, they just scroll on the list and then they go look at the parking page to see where they can leave their car. Um, you know, that is a much more valuable use of the site for that particular persona than the person who, you know, is uh, maybe picking their wife up at the airport. So, yeah. Awesome. All right. I think that uh super helpful. So people want to kind of learn more about you, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, we're at uh, kulapartners.com. That's K-U-L-A partners.com. And uh, yeah, our site is there, our podcast, all of that sort of stuff. Awesome. It was great chatting with you and uh, I'll definitely link to that in the show notes. Very cool. Thanks a lot, Charles.